you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. Welcome back to Conversations for the Health of All Things. I'm so excited to share with you my guest today. We've shared space in a lot of learning areas, exploring health in new ways, and business as a method of achieving health. And she's here to share her story with you. Dr. Kara Wada is a practicing allergy, immunology, and lifestyle medicine physician in Columbus, Ohio. She's also known as the Crunchy Allergist, where she helps fellow autoimmune and chronic illness folks learn how to adopt a sustainable anti-inflammatory lifestyle by breaking up with diet culture and learning how to be our own best friends. Love that so much and so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we're able to connect again. Yes. Well, please tell us your story, starting first with your journey into medicine. What drew you in in the first place? So I remember way back, you know, as even a preschooler, being fascinated with the human body, being fascinated by science, and really having such admiration for my pediatrician. And my pediatrician at the time um, had actually been my mom's pediatrician, but he had evolved his practice into medical education and was at the University of Illinois College of Medicine um, clinic and would have medical students with him. And uh, so that kind of was my initial foray into medical education, was kind of seeing it through the eyes of this, you know, four-year-old girl. And as, um, as I think back to the route, so my, my, I was fortunate enough that my grandma watched me, um, for a while while my mom was working and the route to grandma's house required us to drive past the college of medicine every day. And so it just became like part of this daily routine and part of this like habit of talking about it. And, um, Fast forward into high school, I was able to volunteer at the clinic, just, you know, doing little somewhat menial tasks, you know, changing the paper on the exam room tables, you know, kind of cleaning things out, but just trying to immerse myself in this role of like helping and being a helper. I think that was always um, another draw to the field was being able to help make myself feel useful while also scratching that intellectual itch of mm-hmm. the science and um and as i think through there really have been these little breadcrumbs all along the way including how i ended up in allergy and immunology <clears throat> when so i ended up um being admitted to the university of illinois and went to med school yeah, there that's amazing and <laughs> It was really cool to like kind of come full circle and have some of the classes in the same building that I used to see my peds and, um, but as I went through some of like my undergraduate classes, I really enjoyed my immunology course, 
And as a first and second year student, we had just a couple little experiences with community medicine with um, asthma and allergies and worked with a, a local allergist on that. And so these like little breadcrumbs and I never really considered a a career in that field until I was a third year MedPeds resident, which if anyone listening is in, in medicine, essentially that's like pretty far in the game to decide that you want to specialize. Like you kind of need to like apply like at that moment. So typically folks have been working on research and like all of these different things to um, solidify their game plan. Um, but within like a couple days of being in the peds allergy clinic as a resident, I felt like this weight lift off my shoulders mm-hmm. and like off my chest and just felt like for the first time I was in a space where I could, I could see myself doing that work for decades to come mm-hmm. and not <clears throat> feeling like any, it, it just felt like that, that stress and pressure that I had felt in many other aspects of medicine just kind of melted away. Oh, wow. That's a great way to trust your intuition, right? Just listen in for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, until, you know, kind of talking about that now and kind of as things have evolved in my own personal and personal development and professional development, I don't know that I ever put it, put it in that context. Mm -hmm. I love that. So what was the process like? Like you mentioned, you were kind of Apply now, right? <laughs> Forever hold yeah. the peace. So How did that thankfully, go for you? <laughs> so thankfully, I was connected um, with uh, someone who continues to be one of my mentors. He's um, probably about ten years ahead of me, kind of in the in the academic sense. And so he was um, early career allergist and really trying to work hard on getting things in line for his promotion. And so had kind of a game plan and had some projects lined up. And so we were able to collaborate and and we have very shared interests, I should say too, but it was a very good timing for us to have a very productive collaborative um, working together. And so was able to do a chart review project and get it submitted and get everything pulled together and somehow they kept me like I, I kind of, um, at the time my husband, um, was a, a fellow in our pro- home program. So I, and I didn't want to, to do long distance. Um, I was planning on just taking a little time off if needed, but, um, I ended up matching here and the rest is yeah. history. That's yeah. Amazing. And you mentioned growing up, your pediatrician then entered into academics and had students. Did you know teaching was going to be a part of what you were going to do all along? I remember talking with um, my parents, even, you know, as a, as a middle schooler, high schooler, I want, I told them I want to be, this is, I didn't understand how things worked at the time. I'm like, I want to be an MD PhD because I think they're the ones who teach doctors how to be doctors. Like I thought that the PhD made you a professor of medical Mm -hmm. students. I didn't realize that that really wasn't the case. So um, I, I, I was very happy to find out that I didn't have to go to school for an additional four plus years to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did do a little extra training after my allergy fellowship to work on my teaching and education skills because they mm-hmm. aren't things that are necessarily taught kind of in our general medical curriculum. Yeah. 
And how have you found that experience of now being the leader and offering this back to students and residents and fellows? I, I love it. I think my favorite part is the mentorship aspect. Um, I think that has come alive even more through my work in coaching um, because really um, I can function in, in the role of a coach, especially with fellows who, um, who are the kind of the level of training that I work with the closest, they're already physicians and they're already great physicians. They're just learning kind of this specialized area of medicine. And so I'm able to kind of help them hone their skills and tap into their, you know, kind of genius zone, um, in the clinic, which is a lot of fun. It's really rewarding. I found that too. It's nice in that fine tuning stage, right? Where there's so much amazing foundation you get to offer up more of those specifics. Well, in your introductory statement, it says fellow autoimmune and chronic illness folks. So that would mean you're included in that space and you're an immunologist and you relate to immunology. So has this been part of your journey from the beginning or has this evolved in your time Um, in medicine? This has been uh, kind of uh, the world's ironic, a uh, little bit of a, a, a trick joke. I don't know. Um, in, in a lot of ways though, and although it sounds quite cheesy, I, I really have found it to, I think, be a gift long-term, certainly a gift I would have never asked for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, kind of thinking back, I probably had symptoms of my autoimmune condition well over a decade before I was diagnosed, Mm -hmm. but like many, um, busy physician moms, I kind of, you know, put my own health on the back burner and and ignored Mm -hmm. symptoms as long as I could until they, um, could be ignored no longer. Um, and so after the birth of my second daughter, Josie, um, she was probably about eight, eight months old or so I went in for my dental checkup And my dental hygienist was like, Kara, your mouth is really dry. And I'm like, yeah, my eyes have been really dry too. Like I haven't Mm -hmm. worn contacts for several years. I stopped wearing mascara when I was pregnant with Charlotte, who was about Mm -hmm. three years older. Um, And I had been incredibly tired, had dealt with um, some body pain issues that I just attributed to like yeah, this was just life. Like, you know, I I didn't really know much different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that was kind of that little push just to, um, that was just enough for me to reach out to my primary care doc and say, Hey, I have been really exhausted. My dental hygienist was saying my mouth was dry. My eyes have been dry. I really would like to be checked for Sjogren's part of, um, you know, part of, I think medicine makes it tricky, especially if you have something that falls in into the overall realm that you are familiar with is Mm -hmm. wondering if you're being a hypochondriac or, you know, Mm -hmm. like over, you know, overthinking things, but, and, um, and I got some pushback of like, Oh, you know, I'm sure you're fine, you know, but I guess we can order it, you know, like kind of reluctant. Mm -hmm. Um, and sure enough, my antibodies were positive. I kind of shudder to think knowing what I know now about Sjogren's, what would have happened if my antibodies would have been negative, which is about Mm -hmm. 40% of patients. Mm -hmm. Um, which, so that's not an insignificant number. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because then I, I went to see my colleague slash friend who was mm-hmm. a rheumatologist and she's like, Oh, this will be fine. We'll get your labs. No big deal. Um, we probably won't even have to start any meds, you know, like we'll just watch it. And then she messaged me as my labs were coming back and, you know, each one is like, not great. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she's like, well, let me walk that back a little bit. Um, and so, um, that kind of was this big reality check in what kind of added a little bit of insult to injury was Josie, the little one, um, tried to egg for, mm. um, you know, first handful of times. And, um, within about two weeks of that, she, of that diagnosis, she was diagnosed with egg allergy. She oh, had like yeah. a mild anaphylactic allergy. And I was like, well, for Pete's sakes, I'm an immunologist <laughs> and I'm an allergist. Like, <laughs> our own family or my own immune system in check. Like mm-hmm. it felt like this moral failing. Mm, yeah. That's really tough. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I often wonder, are there studies on this? Because it seems that we're plagued with the injuries of our specialty. I've seen so often strange lung disease and pulmonologists for me, all my illnesses are musculoskeletally <laughs> oriented. So it's fascinating how that happens. Yeah. yeah. How did you pick that? So, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I did a head count in our, in our department, like our allergy department, both at, um, I'm at Ohio state and we are very closely in the same fellowship and affiliated with nationwide children's mm-hmm. and our head count of faculty children with food allergy conditions is much higher than the national average. And vast mm-hmm. majority of us were in our specialty before we started our families. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Yeah. Right. That proximity to what's happening. In yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned working with coaching and you mentioned that sense of moral failure. How have you been able to address that, you know, and support yourself uh, as you then step forward to supporting your patient? So I think there are two big ways and two big things and lessons that have been really helpful. One is learning the role of Mm self-compassion. I I don't think I had any idea how hard I was on myself Mm -hmm. until I started kind of, it's like peeling like the layers of the onion right back of like, um, and that, I mean, that extended into, not having good habits to care for myself either, because I was always putting others needs before my own. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I of course still have that tendency, but I am much more aware and um, have been working really hard on learning how to set some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly helpful. Um, and then I think, you know, learning some of the tips and tricks of like how you can work with how our brains are wired to rewire them to, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of incorporate some habits into daily living that are sustainable, that kind of get you off of that. You know, I'm a, an elder millennial. So I grew up in very much that, you know, supermodel on the diet, off the diet, Mm -hmm. body image, you know, roller coaster and working on learning how to eat in a way that fuels my body, move in a way that, you know, isn't, um, isn't exercising because it's punishment, but because it's like, yes, I can, you know, this is what my body can do. And it wants to, you know, it wants to move and um, 
and so I think those have been the the biggest help. Yeah, I love that. And so you talk about an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. So what would you say are some of the pillars of creating that? Yeah, so um, one of the big pillars is nutrition. So having a diet that's, you know, primarily based in things that are plants that are um, look relatively similar to how they were in in nature, Mm -hmm. not, you know, not to the extent, you know, but trying to minimize some of those ultra processed foods. Um, I'm not vegetarian, but I've, you know, worked on trying to treat meat and some of those other things as more of a condiment as opposed Mm -hmm. to the main star. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been learning how to have fun with food again, you know, after I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole with some different, um, elimination diets and that sort of thing. So that's, um, also been part of like finding the joy in eating again. So it's not stressful. I think, um, part of anti-inflammatory lifestyles, learning how to manage your mind and learning how to kind of rebalance out of that survival mode and find yourself in better balance with that rest and digest and healing mode. Um, and then, uh, sleep is a huge, um, aspect for me. I need decent amount and relatively good quality sleep to kind of keep me healthy. That's uh, an area that I've realized for me is pretty critical. Um, And um, moving too much for me is a problem. Like I had a tendency when I had an incredible, like a really severe flare part of that, I was pushing myself really hard on my Peloton. Mm -hmm. and um so I I do better with moderation (laughs) Mm -hmm. right Um, more is not always better yeah Yeah. um so movement sleep stress nutrition and connection with others Mm -hmm. and so having some community um with other autoimmune um, and chronic illness folks has been really um powerful but also trying to lean into my my friends and family support Mm -hmm. as well Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I hear all those different opportunities. And certainly when we present that to patients or friends or colleagues, it can seem like I have to do all those things. You uh, know? Yeah. <laughs> so how do you begin to prioritize or titrate, you know, working through all those yeah. different pillars? I think um big thing is just kind of like taking a few minutes and just taking stock of where you are, thinking about, you know, where are those areas that you have room for growth can be really helpful. And where do you have some interest in, you know, in, in starting Mm -hmm. the other thing that I have found to be really helpful is, um, it's in the book atomic habits. Um, but Mm -hmm. it's like this, um, rule of, um, small, small gains, I think is the name of it, but essentially if you make 1% improvements every day for a year, you end up 37 times greater than where you started. So even if you don't have 1% win every day, you're still Mm -hmm. further ahead and realizing that if you're really aiming for continuous improvement and focusing on that process rather than the end point, it helps you not get kind of stuck in that idea of like, oh, I failed. I fell off the wagon. You know, I need to get back on. It's just always, you know, this continual, okay, brush ourselves off, get back up, Mm -hmm. keep, keep at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Just those small gains. And I think about that, right? We turn that ship just a little bit. You're at the end of the day sailing. We 
make it to a whole different destination. So we're talking a lot about diet and diet culture and how to be done with that. And we know, like you mentioned, you've been through right a whole host of elimination diets and it can be a tricky topic, right? Food as medicine can be supportive, but also can be punitive and yes. you know, borders on that kind of dangerous realm. So how do you help navigate that arena? So I, I actually see this a fair bit in the office clinically as well. And so, so many of us, myself included, you know, will have symptoms when we eat foods of various types. Um, it's kind of part of the nature of when we ingest things. Like um, if you have something with caffeine, you may, you know, have a little bit more energy or for some people that may end up in palpitations because they're more sensitive. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are other foods too, that, um, we know, um, for some of us can cause gas and bloating or tummy, you know, tummy symptoms. Um, I think what is helpful is to normalize that as part of the human experience, um, that, you know, gas, bloating, tummy upset might be part of it. And also let folks know that for so many of us, we've been living kind of on the standard American diet that does not do a great job of supporting our gut health or kind of the, the health of our microbiome. Um, so all of those trillions of little bacteria that live in our, in our colon primarily. And so just like we're starting a new workout, um, you know, regimen, um, jumping right into some of these, you know, ultra healthy ways of eating, mm -hmm. our bodies may not be ready for that. Just like I can't jump into like a P90X workout and be yeah. able to walk the next day. Like mm -hmm. if I like have, you know, some like super healthy kale salad with roasted broccoli and beans, mm -hmm. like that's not going to go over well. Um, so um, I think it can be really helpful to kind of make those small shifts and think about what we can add as opposed to like take away. Um, mm -hmm. So some kind of high yield kind of things, slowly adding in some of those prebiotic or like good fiber rich, you know, um, grains or veggies and getting, you know, having some fun, trying some new things, kind of being experimental and curious um, can be really helpful too. Um, and just realizing that this is like, the, you know, the first day or the first week of the rest of your life, you don't have to be perfect. Like mm -hmm. just keep aiming for a little bit better. So maybe it's trying to aim for two servings of vegetables for dinner, you know, with your, whatever you would typically have for dinner mm -hmm. three days this week, or, you know, I'm going to have, um, maybe, one sweet treat this week, as opposed to a sweet treat, you know, every night of the week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you bring up fun a lot, right? So letting fun lead the way and which of those pillars you choose and how you select food. How um, do you find that people are able to adapt to that? I don't know that we allow ourselves right to choose based on fun. We think, you know, we got to follow the rules or we have to meet expectations. And how do we give ourselves permission uh, to have fun? I think that can be hard. I try to personally, I try to just tap into that space of like remembering what it was like to be a kid again. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be helpful sometimes. Like I am very fortunate that I have my little ones at home. So I'm like surrounded by 
their curiosity and their um, sometimes, frankly, ridiculousness like, that comes up. Like I've been carpooling um, my oldest, who is six and a half, and um, one, with one of her classmates. And some of the, I mean, frankly, some of it is like bathroom humor, which is like mm-hmm. not, not my favorite kind, but it's ridiculous. And it's like, um, you know, just try to, to remember back to that time when, you know, things just could be totally out there and it was okay. And that was expected. And just part of it can be, um, can be a helpful headspace and heart space to be in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cause they're always helpful teachers that way. I yeah. Love it. And as we're working through this process, you mentioned too, you might feel worse right before you feel better. And I've noticed that a lot of friends or colleagues or patients who have done a detox or, you know, done some type of elimination diet, they've gone that way. And like you said, they might have belly pain. They might have a big breakout and right? people think, well, why, why would I give up sugar? <laughs> if I wow. feel like I have the flu and I have a headache and my skin is terrible, like, let me just go back to eating this. How do we keep that long game picture in mind? Mm. I think one of the exercises I've found to be helpful is like this idea of writing a letter to your future self or even kind of putting yourself in this place of like, what would I like my future self to like be thinking my current self for doing? I think that that's a a fun exercise to play with time Mm -hmm. in how we think about, you know, where we want to be and some of the steps that are going to, it's going to take to get us to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that. That's a great segue too, because you also talk about how to be your own best friend. And so even that idea of writing a letter to yourself, you know, and dear Evan Hansen comes into my head because we listen to the <laughs> soundtrack all the time. And so how does that look? And what are those steps? You know, what, what does it mean uh, to be your own best friend? So I talk a lot about self-compassion. So kind of having this awareness that, we are human in, in part of our humanity is the fact that we are not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we tend to hold ourselves to the highest, to much higher standards than we do our best friend or, a, you know, a close family member, what have you, a child. So if we can kind of separate ourselves from that and, and try to think of ourselves um, as we would a best friend or as we would one of our kids, um, can be helpful. I think also acknowledging and recognizing that when we are suffering or we are feeling shameful or these negative feelings, that that is part of the human experience. And, Mm -hmm. um, rather than it's, it's really easy to become isolated Mm -hmm. when you're feeling that way, but to lean in and realize that that's, it's part of part of the deal with being on planet earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and being mindful of that, that, okay, I'm going to, you know, I, um, I was running late in clinic yesterday and like, I could say, Oh, Kara, you're so stupid. Like, why did you spend that extra time? Like, you know, doing this, that, or the other thing, but instead like, no, that's what, you know, that's what I needed to do. You know, if, if, you know, they can't understand that I'm human and taking care of other humans, like, you know, you know, just kind of changing that self-talk yeah, to kind of be more supportive and you're, 
I mean, in it, in its fun sense to be your own hype girl instead of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that critic. Yeah. I think that's so important to notice because it is helpful. And you mentioned connection is one of those pillars. So reaching out and having some of that validation from others is useful, but at the mm-hmm. same time we can acknowledge and normalize things for ourselves. Like, of course, right. Of course you're having a hard time, you know, this is what's happening and, and that's okay. And letting that happen for ourselves. Yeah. I love that. We've heard so many ways and I love that you have come full circle from driving at four, you know, past the clinic, going to school <laughs> there and finding that weight lifted and stepping into your specialty and letting that inform your business practices. And so through all of this, how would you say that you see yourself for the health of all things? Mm. I think, so I think of like the health of all things, I think of the whole global like environment and everything. And I think about how that really comes into focus in particular in allergy immunology, because our field essentially centers on this idea of how our immune system can see our environment as a danger signal inappropriately. Mm-hmm. I also think about how that relates to what we're seeing globally in the change in our, um, our, you know, our weather patterns with global warming and that worsening allergies. And um, so I think I see, I see my role as the crunchy allergist in this role of really promoting sustainability and improved health kind of across that spectrum from, you know, environmental health and, and justice. Um, Later this fall, I get to help the med students kind of in talking about how climate change is affecting health um, and how that can add up in our food systems and how, you know, we can decrease our, um, reliance on animal products decreases, you know, carbon dioxide and, you know, sustainable Mm -hmm. farm practices, all this comes into play and it all centers around the health, not only us as humans, but of our planet too. Mm -hmm. I love that. So who knew, right? (laughs) In the specialty, it really taps into all the different ways of being in the world. I love that. Well, thank you. And please do share with our audience where they can find you, whether they're in the Columbus area or virtually tap into yeah, so the beautiful work you're doing. I, um, I practice at Ohio State University. So I'm at, the, um, at one of the outpatient medical center clinics there um, and precept our, our fellows clinics as well. And then I have a website, crunchyallergist.com. And then on social media, Instagram, I'm at Crunchy Allergist. Twitter is the only one that's different. I'm at Crunchy Allergy. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. Well, thank you for sharing your story and for the great work that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. It was so nice to talk and I always learn so much from you. So I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com. 
or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.